0: Hey everybody, this is Andrew back with season two of Jetlag and I'm joined here by Larry Heath. And guess what? A lot has changed since last time. Uh, I don't think I need to let you know that that's the case, but it's changed for us as well. So in the last year, almost to the date I became a father daughter is Emerald Meadowsmith and she is a huge handful. She's beautiful and crazy and it comes with all the ups and downs of of being a parent but that has consumed my last year and it's been a wild ride but it's been awesome because I I work at home and when the global pandemic hit uh, it actually didn't affect us too much in terms of day-to-day life because we're already home and so I'm very thankful for that but that's also been a wild ride because we can't get help no babysitting nothing just locked in with a infant is quite an experience so um, coming back at you with a lot of new experience under my belt and Larry also had a major change didn't you
1: I certainly did. Um, I have now moved from Australia to Toronto, Canada, where I'm currently waiting out this pandemic. It's um, where, I mean, as we're recording, it's um, towards the end of May and Australia is uh, starting to reopen. They have largely escaped the, uh, at least at this stage, the um, extent of the pandemic that we've seen in North America. So I'm seeing my friends back home, enjoying a, cold beer at the uh at the pub already and i'm still stuck here indoors but um but still very very happy to be here i love it in canada well not only that but your
0: job in particular in contrast to mine the last two years has been very uh mobile and i have to imagine that that has taken a large shift as well
1: yeah that's for sure um I'm supposed to be in Las Vegas right now, where you and I had some uh, fun a few years back. Um, <laughs> the, um, yeah, I was—I think I was going to be seeing Aerosmith tonight. Um, there was a big travel conference called IPW uh, happening this weekend, and uh, but nope, I'm here in Toronto. And uh, look, first-world problems in that respect—I've got my health and my family as well, and um, I think we can both say that. So.
0: Yep. If our biggest complaint is not being at the pub with our friends, then stuff's still pretty all right. So along with all the other changes that uh, we've been talking about, you know, certain industries have been hit harder than others. And we're here today to talk about one in particular, which is the music industry. And Larry has an extensive background on this one. And so he's going to kind of guide us through uh, where things have been and where they're going.
1: Yeah, that's right. And I mean, this is what the second season of Jetlag is going to be focusing on. We are gonna be looking at uh, the industries that have been affected by the COVID-19 epidemic, um, in particular industries that relied on travel. So over the next six episodes, we'll be speaking to different people from professions around the world uh, who fit into that box. So we start in the live music touring sector, an industry that has been brought to an indefinite standstill. We'll be visiting this a couple of times this season. While musicians are the most public-facing side of the industry, their ability to live stream and pivot along with regular streaming, income, merch, and other revenue streams has provided some opportunities for that part of the community. But even if the reduction of income is great, for most touring is simply how they make their living and there's no way to replicate that. The Los Angeles Times reports that $9 billion has been wiped from the live music touring sector in 2020 due to a lack of ticket sales. In Australia, $340 million was lost from the sector in the space of a month, and that was only counting the people who registered their losses at a site called I Lost My Gig. And that's not just from musicians. That's from production, crew, hospitality workers, tour managers, booking agents, and pretty much anyone you can think of that works within the infrastructure of the live touring scene. So today we're going to be talking about the production side of the touring industry. The people setting up the stages, doing the lights, the sound, the literal and figurative nuts and bolts of the touring industry, without whom very few of your favorite bands would be able to tour through your city. Not that anyone's touring at the moment, anyway. To talk through his experiences, we are joined today by Liam Clifford, the founder and CEO of Howl Around Entertainment. Based in LA, Liam has worked with acts like Post Malone, FKJ, L King, Bishop Briggs, Shepard, and many more. Liam, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, happy to be here.
0: So, so where, are you, where are you based right now, you're in, you're in LA? I,
2: yeah, I am in LA, just kind of sitting at home, uh, kind of got the got the home office set up, so that's been my quarantine project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, along with everyone
0: know. else. Are you boosting yeah. the stock price of Wayfair.com? <laughs> I,
2: I did a little bit, actually. <laughs> okay, there yeah. you go. Yeah, yeah there's a uh, bookshop behind me was from uh, Wayfair,
0: actually. Oh, wow, so... <laughs> It's not just a joke. There's some truth to it. No. So, um, so what does Howl Around Entertainment do? And you know, what is, what did normal work look like before all of this stuff happened? Maybe example in 2019 or.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, what we do is we're a, we're a full service touring creative agency. So we work with artists and their teams to, uh, basically build out all of their live shows, um, TV appearances, awards, performances. Anything that has them performing, uh, we kind of have a hand in. So, um, you know, budgeting, creatives, tour, staffing, accounting, um, you know, production, the whole works, uh, you know, and last year was busy for us. We, we did, it was probably our biggest year yet as a company. Uh, we did well over 400 shows last year. Um, obviously I wasn't at all of them, uh, but we did quite a lot and this year we're on track uh initially we're on track to do somewhere in the realm of 500 shows this year uh so we've had about 450 odd of those cancelled so far oh my god so it's it's quite a you know it's quite a devastating loss and you know it's it's a lot of revenue it's a lot of jobs and not just from the touring aspect but you know obviously that extends out to my travel agent who all of a sudden isn't going to get his commissions Right. And that extends out to, you know, like local, local, to, uh, local crew in each, at each city, bar staff, you know, um, door people, you know, the whole works.
0: So when and how did you know that something big had changed? Like, when did you know the tides were shifting in this?
2: It was, it was probably early March. I was, I'd not long gotten back from Australia. I'd gone to New York and did, uh, I produced a, uh, a performance for the Colbert show, and I was in Colorado. And they, I landed in Colorado, and they just had the first couple of cases confirmed like that, that morning. And the flight was suspiciously empty. Hmm. You know, there were probably, I reckon, a dozen to 20 people on this flight from LA up to, uh, up to Vail. So, that was kind of my first red flag, and I remember I was having a conversation with with my client who I was up there with, and she turned around to me and went, Is this gonna affect my tour? This tour was scheduled to start um, around Coachella. And I was like, you know what? I don't I don't think so. You know, I like <laughs> at at that at that time I was like, no, I think it's gonna be centralized to Asia There's a few cases kind of spreading throughout the world, but I think it's going to get contained. Uh, I think we'll be okay. If anything, it'll affect like arena-sized touring, but anything under, you know, a couple thousand people, I think should be okay.
0: Well, yeah, that's that's right too. And if you think back to late Feb, early March, everybody was still talking about South Korea, and yeah, exactly, Iran, and places that feel completely irrelevant if you're in a city like LA or San Diego or Toronto or something.
2: Yeah. And it it was just, it was a strange thing. I mean, I started to get the whispers of, of some of the larger scale arena shows, you know, starting to think about canceling and rescheduling. Um, so that's where I thought it was going to finish. And then by the end of that week, uh, everything was canceled. It went lightning quick. Um, you know, on the same day that we'd signed on a new, a new artist, uh, who was, scheduled to play the sunset main stage slot at ultra wow so they confirmed us to come in and handle the touring for the year and then that came in that call came in in the morning and then that afternoon we got a phone call saying ultra was canceled
0: um and do you think do you think this is because you're doing large-scale events for huge companies who have you know obviously the most people to take care of and the most to lose but did that hit smaller shows and smaller venues just as quick
2: it did you know in the midst of all of all this happening i was we also had an artist and he was heading out to europe to do a promo tour and he was going out to london berlin barcelona mm. uh paris and it was in that we're in that that weird kind of few days where things were starting to lock down countries were starting to like close their borders. And this artist was just like, you know what? Fuck it. We're still going to go. And, uh, and they still went, we had to find a new drummer because the drummer wasn't a a U.S. citizen. Uh, so we weren't we couldn't guarantee him getting back into the country if he left. So we had to find a local drummer and they still went and we got out, they got out to Berlin, they did the taping and then everything got canceled like the next day all, all through Europe. I reckon I changed their flights probably 10 to 12 times in the space of two oh days. Oh my
0: God. And that's such a tedious thing to do once.
2: Yeah. You know, I, I was, pr- I was pretty much on, you know, on a constant phone call with my travel agent uh, for like two days straight. We just didn't hang on basically. Right. By the time we'd like re-ticketed the flights, that country was shut, that airport was shutting down, they bought shutting down, you know, and we had to re ticket it elsewhere.
0: So that's pretty Uh, wild. Like while the rest of the world and most industries seemed like the, the changes kind of trickled in and it, and you know, once people knew what was happening, they were at first saying, Oh, we're going to make some changes, then more changes. And then now we're going to shut down. It just seemed it was lights out for you immediately.
2: Pretty much, you know, we were the first industry to go. And, and, um, me and my business partner have had many conversations about how we kind of think that, we always thought that the music and touring industry was was the one recession-proof industry, because when you compare, you know, going to a concert, most shows you're looking somewhere between the twenty-five to fifty-dollar range, uh, unless you're talking arenas or major festivals, and when you can compare that to a fancy date night dinner, it's kind of remarkably cheap for what you're getting, mm-hmm. um, especially in a major city. So. We we were always under the impression that we would never get shut down ever, that right. nothing could, could affect us, and then this happens.
0: And that's not it's not like that's outlandish because typically when there's recessions uh, or economic downturns, entertainment actually goes up because people want to have fun instead of deal with reality. Movies are up, yeah. Video games are up, you know, and music fits exactly. into that category. But yeah, with, we kind
2: of offer like a escape from reality, even though it's only yeah. for a
0: couple of hours. So with public gatherings off the table and 450 out of 500 shows wiped for the year, how have you been able to adapt your business to keep working during this time or have you at all?
2: We've we've pivoted to producing live streams and, and trying to get artists out of their bedroom and out of their living room. Um, because You know, when all this happened, we saw all these artists flood Instagram Live, Facebook Live, YouTube, Mm -hmm. um, the whole lot, doing daily streams, daily uh, Q&As, whatever they could do to stay connected and relevant. And that was great for like a couple of weeks. And then it just started to get stale and boring. So we've been trying to come up with creative ways that that are CDC compliant. Uh, and local city compliant uh, to kind of get people into a space that looks good, that sounds good, where they can actually deliver a quality product. And it's obviously challenging because people are very reluctant to invest any money right now. So, you know, we're we're, we're going back and forth with a few different artists and a few different labels and companies and seeing what we can kind of come up with. So we're not just sitting around, you know, twiddling our thumbs, going, "Hey, like, when is this going to come back?" Right. Because our reality is, this is going to roll. This is going to last the rest of twenty twenty, and potentially into at least the first quarter of twenty one. I think.
0: Well, yeah, like you said, it's first to go, and I think on the same note, it's probably last to come back. And yeah, and I think absolutely. From what I've seen is in the music industry, at least we we're talking about live streaming, uh, a few things come to mind first. And the first one I can think of is Insomniac, the electronic mm-hmm. label going on yep. tw- on Twitch. And yep. they didn't just put some artists on a stream. Like, their setup looks insane. They yeah. are treating this as an investment moment. Now, that that being said, they're a large company and their budget is probably spectacular. But, um, but that said, they're still going for it. And it seems like they're almost spinning up a new arm of their company rather than just you know, Band-Aid on the wound, they're like, nah, this is a new opportunity.
2: Exactly, and that's what we're trying to kind of get a lot of our clients and a lot of our friends at other companies and labels to kind of realize and go, hey, this is an opportunity to create, you know, a revenue stream and, and a media side of things that hasn't really been a part of our strategy before. You know, live streaming, I mean, Professional gamers have been making millions mm-hmm. out of live streaming and YouTube for years, and I think Twitch has always had that kind of, um, I guess, you know, public perception of it's kind of like nerdy gamer space. Right. And now is a, is a fantastic opportunity for that to change, mm-hmm. and it, it's something that we're working on. Uh, I can't dive too much into it. Uh, cause we are actively in discussions with a few different people about trying to get something going here, but you know, that, that is what we're pivoting to, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, I would even say like TikTok is perfectly primed. YouTube is perfectly primed, uh, and they've got the resources to do it. And I'm, it's a little baffling to me how slow some people have been adapting, you know, Insomniac were great. Cause they were like, we're going to do this tomorrow and it was just done. Mm. And it was impressive, you know. Um, but a lot of these other companies, yeah, I, I feel slow.
1: There, I completely agree with you, and I, I think one example that comes to mind from Australia uh, is Stage Kings, who are a, a staging company for festivals and and events. Um, it felt like within days they pivoted into building, um, obviously using you know wood and equipment that they that they had for for staging and, and other projects they pivoted into building at-home work desks um, yeah. within days and yeah. you know what a what an amazing move for the for that company to do because it's 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 obvious when you say it but you know at the time it it, it was a genius genius move to uh, to jump into that
2: absolutely you know and you've seen a few companies here kind of do a similar thing where they've they kind of pivoted early into building temporary structures for hospitals and COVID mm-hmm. kind of mm. support centers. Um, I know I've had many conversations with a lot of my vendors that do infrastructure and, and, and data networking for events that have kind of gone down that route. Um, especially on the East coast, when you look at places like, uh, uh, New York and, um, you know, they've been very much focused on that.
0: So the other question and i guess this kind of leads into it, is how do you think this will permanently impact the industry and your business and you know one thing one of my guesses is that seeing what we're seeing on streaming for example and insomniac like building a whole new branch of their business that's going to be permanent for them um and i see yep. a few other labels doing that also like the the hardcore band or the metal band code orange they had their record release slated and it got canceled two days before and they had 48 hours they set up a whole crew and live streamed their record release on twitch to nobody in the audience and yeah it ended up being really sick like they had the full backgrounds as a, you know being switched in over them playing multiple camera angles they're going nuts it's like full on mosh music and no one's there but yeah. ch- chat on twitch was going crazy and i thought like why can't they do both? You know, could, could they do some digital shows now, even when live shows are back on the table and things like that? I, I feel like the rules are a little bit broken now where, where maybe yes. And I know a lot of yeah. things are driven by money, right? So you're not going to do something that's not profitable, but think of how much people pay for impressions in marketing. Mm-hmm. Is this not just a different cost for the same result? You know, th- so those are the questions I'm asking these days too.
2: Yeah, I think you know when we're talking about about streaming and online content, you know, the, the music industry has always seen it as something that's kind of been given to people for free. Mm-hmm. You can go on YouTube and, and and look up any concert ever, any DVD, right. it's all there, you know, and that's kind of where a lot of the pushback's been coming from. And I see it as an as an opportunity to really partner with brands on this and, and, you know, really get high dollar, high interaction brand, um, activations
0: hmm.
2: in collaboration with artists and and in collaboration with, you know, platforms like Twitch or TikTok or YouTube. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but I, I definitely think it's, it's, it's changing and I think it's a good thing, you know, we need to adapt to this, um, I think we'll, we'll start to see some ticketed streams starting to come out pay-per-view like pay-per-view model kind of broadcasts, which I think is a great thing for us. It gives us some diversity, right? Um, you know, and, and the numbers are there to prove it. Um, what's the, uh, I, I'm blanking on the name, the band from Boston. It's very Irish. Um, I don't Trust know. Which these. one? Truckee Murphy. oh, <laughs> Murphy's King. that's yeah. the one. They did their St. Paddy's Day show and live streamed it, and had 13 million viewers over the course of that show. Concurrent? Uh, not concurrent. Over, over the over the course of the stream, they had 13 million. Still, that's um, bonkers. It's it's massive, right? Yeah. And wow. Considering, I think they normally do it at, at like the House of Blues, uh, and I, I think tomorrow, uh, which is, you know. May 29th so by the time this comes out it will be done um, but they're doing a live stream in conjunction with Bruce Springsteen from the Diamond at Red Sox stadium, uh, at Red Sox Stadium Wow the first time in history that, that anybody has allowed an artist to play on the the actual diamond um, it's That's gonna amazing. be insane
0: so so what so I guess those are some of the positives but you know I've heard a lot of people liking this and I don't know if it's an appropriate Uh, you know, analogy, but they say, you know, this is the new 9-11 in the sense that before you could go to the airport, walk up to your gate and leave after 9-11, take your shoes off, go through the scanners, take your computer out, all these rules. Right. And so now, um, I mean, I, I, I work in marketing and I'm working on some projects where people are literally talking about deploying cameras that can read people's temperatures Mm -hmm. at uh, 30 people per three seconds. And um, if somebody's temperature is too hot, they have, you know, they're trying to put protocols in place to go have somebody's insecurity say, hey, look, I know this is weird. Your temperature is too high and you, you can't be here.
2: Yeah, there's gonna be a lot of that. And there's gonna be a massive insurance and liability issue that comes into play here. Um, you know, so I see that there is gonna be mandatory temperature checks. That's definitely gonna be a thing. Um, I feel like when you buy a ticket to any event now, there's going to be a clause in the terms and conditions that basically indemnifies everybody to say that if you get sick, you can't sue, um, and that nobody is liable for that. Um, I see that being a thing. Um, I see how we deal with moving people around events in and out, the flow of people where usually it's just kind of a, free-for-all I think there's going to be very purposeful movement of people one direction um in and out kind of thing and it's going to change a lot there's going to be a lot of additional costs that come into this too Mm -hmm. when you talk about the extra staffing and the extra um sanitization of spaces um you know I think we're going to go away from the reusable and recyclable um you know cups and uh you know plates and plastic and all that kind of stuff i think we're going to go back to single use uh which is a shame because we're doing so well as an as an as an industry and as a a society moving away from that uh and that's not going to be a thing now because people are going to be too scared to to kind of deal with that
1: Although there is, I mean, uh, events like Pickathon had already moved into you arrive at an event, you buy a plate and you use mm-hmm. that plate for the entire event. And so when you get food, that food's put on that plate. And so there could be a version of that as well, which still tackles into the recyclable element and reusable without anyone but you reusing it.
2: Yeah, potentially. But then you're also got, you know, um, in that instance, you're uh, I can see the problem with the tongs being used by the vendor to put the food onto that plate, coming in contact with your plate, instead of
0: one yeah. that they just pulled out of a bag.
2: My you God. know? I didn't like, even
0: think about this stuff.
2: Yeah, when you get into the nitty gritty of insurance and liability, um, which unfortunately I have to sometimes, it's just yeah. it's not fun, and that's the kind of shit that these guys think about. So, so like, if our tong touches that plate, can we get sued?
0: Right, and, and so, I, you know, I don't know. There's always a way to pull out silver linings and everything, right? So we've mentioned some of the amazing pivots that people have done creatively online, but then now we're talking about the the hard costs and the additional pain (laughs) and agony of setting up shows. And then, you know, it doesn't take very much for people to complain about their experience being altered. So if they're being funneled into one-way lines and getting their temperature checked, does that take away enough from the show to... Negatively impact the industry in a huge long term way, or is this the new normal? I,
2: I don't think so. I think it's going to become the new normal in the same way that we stepped up, um, uh, you know, the infrastructure after things like 9 11, and then after, you know, things like Manchester and Vegas. You know, we've had to implement extra measures that have been a hindrance to people getting into a building. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've also stepped up how we monitor a crowd once they're inside that building. So I think it's just going to be an additional step. And then once you've cleared those steps, you know, hopefully we can get back to some normal, you know, normality in a venue. I still think there's going to be a few one way, you know, one way entrances and exits and, and, you know, you can come into a certain section one way and you get gets leave through the opposite way. Um, but I'm, I'm hoping we can once, once they're in, all of that stress of dealing with that can go away and they can just enjoy the show. Um, but no one really knows how it's gonna go. We're gonna have to wait for the first couple of events to happen, which I believe it's Comic-Con in Tampa. It's the first one to go back wow. in July. July. July, they've, they've been given uh, city approval to run Comic-Con in Tampa. And I just read this morning there's a festival a country festival in northern wisconsin in mid july that's going ahead at 16,000 tickets a day.
0: Oof. Wow.
2: So, Does, that, Disney
1: World is reopening as well, so I mean, they're all they're yeah. flying close to the sun with with all this. I mean, these numbers aren't really going down in these places either.
2: No, they're not. So I'm I'm certainly watching it very closely to see if if there's a a spike in cases once these things open and, and what kind of procedures they implement. And, um, you know, we're just kind of the wall's waiting and watching really. Right.
1: If you got a call tomorrow from one of these events that wanted you to come and set up a stage for it, would you do it? Um, it's, it's
2: tough, you know, uh, obviously we want the work, um, but we need to make sure that we're being safe. So, I think there would have to be an extreme discussion. We, we, we would definitely seriously consider it, but there'd also be a very serious discussion that would have to go on about health and safety. Um, and, and about public perception as well.
1: Hmm. And, uh, before we wrap up, I, um, you know, looking, looking back on everything and, and in the last couple of years, what are you missing most about your normal life, your pre pre COVID life?
2: Honestly, just going to the pub. <laughs> like <laughs> me too. <laughs> I, I I just want to get together with a bunch of mates and go to the pub and have a have a beer. So, um, yeah, that that and and airplanes and airports. I I love to fly.
1: Yeah, me too. I'm seeing friends in Australia. As as would you be, uh, Liam, and and you as well, Bray Andrew. Um, they're all getting back to the pubs. The f- ten to fifty people, depending on the state you're in. So, I'm jealous. Uh,
0: very jealous. We'll be there soon enough. Soon enough. This we're going we're all gonna look back at this time and go, Remember how weird that was? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we'll all get through it. <laughs>
1: Well, thank you, Liam, so much for joining us today. Uh, Before we go, I do want to mention there are a number of amazing organizations around the world set up to support those in the music industry who are in need. In Australia, Support Act is that resource. In the UK, there's Help Musicians. And in the States, there are region-based initiatives like HAM or the Health Alliance for Austin Musicians. So search your uh, local phone book for uh, for information uh, on that. And online, we'll... uh, Put some more details for um for people around the world who are in need all right well
0: thanks for coming on man that was really interesting and it's yeah it's so, so crazy
1: me. to talk to somebody
0: like you in your position and i i really wish all the best man i hope the rest of this year just picks up and and you know you can look back at this with a odd fondness
2: yeah no me too i'm looking forward to getting back to whatever the the
0: new normal is going to be but yep. Day at a time. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. This is a kickoff of uh, Jet Lag Season 2, and I'm excited to dig into some other topics, and I'll see you then.
1: Bye. Cool. See you later. Sweet. And we have, like, thanks
0: two later. seconds left in this